0: I was like, I don't know what's going on, but you sound like a Godzilla monster right now. Oh my gosh. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. As you probably already know, I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today... I have Steve Rao of the 60 Cycle Hum podcast.
1: Hello. Hey there, buddy. What's going on? Not much. Just uh, cracking open a brew and sitting down with you. Oh, it rhymes. That sounds so nice. Yeah, it was a magical rhyme that I came up with right now off the cuff completely. Right. <laughs> I've n- never said it before. <laughs> <laughs>
0: never, never, ever. Nope. So, um, as I usually start the show, which you are familiar with, uh, yes. how'd, your, how'd your day go?
1: Uh, it was alright. It was um, kind of a slow day, um, but and I took like a two-hour lunch at work uh, to go do like a little side project thing, uh, but that was okay because as far as I know, nobody is going to call me on it, so hey, why not? <laughs> Unless somebody you work with listens to this episode. Yeah. Well, I I got back and one of my coworkers was like, did you just go to a job interview? I was like, well, I went to an interview and it was a job, but it wasn't a job interview. So we're okay. (laughs) There you go. Nice. You were interviewing. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's like a market research thing where they pay people to come in and... Oh, give your opinion on something stupid that we want to sell to them to the masses, and we will pay you for it and oh, they gotcha. actually uh pay pretty good for some of these things so if anyone's looking for some side cash, look for your local market research team and you know some of those jobs will pay i mean you know it's it's gas money or it's half your car payment or something sometimes so uh it's a nice little thing to pick up every six months. All I heard was fuzz pedals when you were talking. Like, but, hey, buy some fuzz pedals. I can buy um, like two thirds of a muffaletta now. Ooh, hey, well, that's not a bad
0: deal for a, just no. a, answering some questions. Yeah. I can get on board with that.
1: <laughs> as long as JHS accepts uh, Visa, Visa gift cards. I'm pretty sure they do. Well, there I we go. I, I'm I don't in know business. anybody that
0: doesn't. I accept them. <laughs> See, if you if you want nothing, you can give me Visa gift cards. I'll take them and I'll turn them into JHS muffalettas. There we go. Ah, oh, very nice. Or you could go. Or you know what people should do instead? What's that? If they, with their either their um, survey money or their blood transfusion money or or like blood donate whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They should go, and they should, like, become part of the 60 Cycle Hum Best Friends Club.
1: Well, I wasn't going to say it, but, you know, if you want to get a shirt eventually, uh, you know, you can buy them direct from us, or, uh, you know, you can support the podcast. So, it's, uh,
0: it's pretty cool. Nice.
1: Well, you know what?
0: Let's not make the mistake that I made with Ryan. Um, which was uh, rambling off on tangents before we actually, <laughs> before we uh, tell people, um, well, a lot of people have already listened to his episode um, and will know who uh, who you guys are, but maybe there's a new view, a new listener tuning in and maybe you should tell them what you're all about uh, briefly and what you guys do.
1: Sure. You know, this is why I wanted to go first. And uh, of course we originally planned to go first, but things happen. Um, 60 Cycle Hum is a podcast that I started with your previous guest uh, Ryan Burke, and we do. Uh, I guess our focus from the beginning was kind of the used gear market. Um, we were a couple guys who, literally for for close to a decade, were just on AOL Instant Messenger or later Facebook Messenger or whatever, just saying like, "Hey, check out this stupid thing on San Diego Craigslist." Or, hey man, you should go out and spend half an hour to go buy this thing because I think you can sell this in a week and make a hundred bucks on it. And uh, after doing this for, like I said, almost close, close to 10 years, just between the two of us, one day Ryan was like, you know, uh, do you ever listen to podcasts? Do you know what this thing is, podcasts? I was like, no, tell me about it. And from there, it kind of just snowballed into, let's try to do something like this for ourselves. Where we just take these conversations that we've been having for years and record them and see if anybody cares. <laughs> right. And apparently there's a couple few people who cared. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a few people out there. So it's it's been really insane. We've been doing it for, uh, it'll be like two years in January. And at no point when we started were we like, oh, yeah, we're definitely like two years in. We're going to be looking back at this thing like, oh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Uh, at the beginning we were like let's just record four episodes and if we get any feedback then maybe we'll do a couple more and and we'll see what happens and it's just kind of uh I don't know what normal podcast growth looks like I've tried to look at it for other topics but the guitar niche is so small that I feel like we're doing okay like I feel like when you have people just kind of sending you emails every once in a while that you've never heard of before, that you've not seen anywhere that you've promoted yourself. And they're like, Hey, I really love your show. Like, that's when I feel like, Hey, I guess the word's getting out and I guess we're doing something right. Because these people that we don't have any, even like semblance of a personal connection with are listening.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of can relate to that because I just had that happen a couple times recently where people you know most people and everyone listening for the most part knows that most people find me through instagram and right. that was all very intentional on my part um it just seemed like the easiest way to build an audience to launch a show to um in a way that i could i could understand um there's there's better ways to do it i'm sure but it was just a way that i i i totally got um yeah and I I had a guy that I was talking to today, and he was like, "Hey, I, I love your show, um, and because of it, I joined Instagram." I'm like, "Wait, <laughs> wait, what? That's that's different." I said, yeah. "How did you find it? Like, everyone finds it through Instagram." And he's like, "Oh, I just did a search, and like that you had a cool logo or whatever, and and I listened <laughs> to your show." I'm like, "Oh, well." Thanks. <laughs> so it was kind of a, that was kind of an interesting conversation,
1: but yeah, that was a neat thing for us was just after, I don't remember how long it was, but being able to sit down on Google and type in guitar podcast and coming up on a list. You know, I don't, I think we were maybe on like the second or third page of Google, but it was like, Hey, that's us. We're, we're, we're actually getting searched enough that we're showing up on Google. This is kind of crazy. That, yeah.
0: I I can totally relate to that because it took so long to be able to type into Google Tone Mob (laughs) and have my website come up. For for the longest time, it was just uh, Tune Moby, some like Nokia ringtone site. I was just like, like, this is really like, like this has been up for a while and I kind of have a, I don't, I don't SEO optimize at all. Right. But I have an idea of how Google works, and I submitted my site to Google in, in hopes that I could type in Tone Mob and my site might pop up within a month. And no, it right. didn't. It took forever. Oh, it was excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. anyway, we're not here to talk about the, the, the terrible life
1: of a podcaster. Oh, I thought we were here. This was the uh, Tone Mob SEO marketing podcast, right? If it was, I would have nobody listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There are some business podcasts that like have four episodes on the ground and have like seventy five thousand listeners apiece. It's a I weird. Know. It's a weird market. I think that is because that is a
0: big market.
1: Yeah. I, no, exactly.
0: I, 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 that's just my my kind of takeaway from it. Like, I try to. I I do listen to some of those, and I try to keep into in perspective that like. There's a lot more people looking for that, yeah. and and these guys are probably have done businesses before and knew how to get something like that off the ground. I had to try to keep it in perspective.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. No it,
0: market size. Absolutely. So since we're not talking business, we're talking uh, about <laughs> guitar gear. Sure. So we're gonna we're gonna pretend that we're gonna I'm gonna pretend to try to stay on topic. Okay. And, uh, you know, and I will do my
1: best. I will do my best to derail you over and over again. Sounds great. I, mean, I mean to also uh, stay on topic. Oh, <laughs> I'm I'm used to it. I I'm totally
0: you know, you already know. Yeah. I don't have to explain to you what I what my show's like. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, so you know what you know what's about to hit, Ben. Yes. I want to um, know I, I was your 12. musical backstory. Uh, oh, you were twelve.
1: <laughs> okay. um, so I started playing guitar when I was 12 and um, it's kind of I I started and then I stopped you know uh, when you're 12 and well I'll start with this um, my first guitar I got from it was my grandmother's guitar and she had bought a new one because this guitar was old and the action was high and so she just wanted something new and, and so she has this um, she bought this like Midnight, I mean, this was 1996, and she bought this uh, Washburn acoustic guitar made in Korea or something, and it played great, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm 12, and I've never played the guitar, <laughs> and uh, I didn't really grow up in a musical family. My my grandmother played guitar. My aunts were both, um, like, they sang. Uh, one of my aunts was in, like, some uh, local kind of, like, regional country bands uh, in Indiana, Uh, but my dad, no musical background, my mom, no music. Um, so I was like, you know, my idea of being a musician for my personal experience was I knew how to turn a radio on and off and I knew how to tune from station to station. And that was about it. Um, but we went back to visit family and I don't really remember how the conversation happens, but we end up taking home my grandmother's, uh, guitar, uh, so I have a 1955, 56, 57, somewhere in there, Harmony Arch Tone, uh, which is one of their arch-top acoustic guitars. And I started playing guitar on that. And it's, um, the action's bad. And I was taking guitar lessons from, like, the city rec center. So it's these group lessons with like twenty other people in it, and we're playing mm-hmm. we're playing scales or doing like single note runs. Uh, I've got a Ernie Ball instruction book that has me playing, you know, the melody to Sloop John B and Yesterday, and <laughs> and these are just songs. So it's like these are classic songs, but when you're twelve, you just want to be able to pick up a guitar and strum a chord or two or three and and have it make some sort of sense. Right. And, and all I was getting was notes. I, I, had, I didn't know what chords were. I didn't know how to make these sounds. Um, I was just, you know, I did three months of this over the summer and, and just ended up frustrated. Uh, so I kind of put it away for a couple of years and I went to a church camp. and church music, this is church music. Uh, now I'm now like 14. This is church music in the in the late 90s, so it's very acoustic guitar driven. I go there and all the music is acoustic guitars and lots of chords, very, very hooky songs, lots of like simple melodies. And so I get back home from this camp and I'm like, hey, I really like these songs. Uh, I can jump on the internet and like find chords on, I don't even know what websites there were back then. This is like before Ultimate Guitar, I think Ultimate Guitar had existed, but it wasn't huge. Uh, but it was enough that I spent the next six months learning chords and slamming away on this harmony with high action. Now that I was a little older, I was strong enough to over, to like work with that. And uh, after that, my parents were like, "Okay, you know, you're you're you've spent the time to figure this out, and you can play like two songs to a level where we're not embarrassed to listen to you play it." <laughs> uh, so uh, they. We're like, you know, let's get you another guitar. And then, uh, so I got my first um, personal acoustic guitar that was new. Uh, that was a uh, Mitchell from Guitar Center, which was, I think, a house brand for them. And, uh, but it plays great. I actually still play that guitar uh, on a regular basis. Um, and then after that, they bought me a Fender Jagstang, which is kind of a weird electric guitar all around yeah but, you know it's uh i actually told my mom i said you know th- this was 2000 2001 something like that and i said you know these guitars are worth like 250 bucks on ebay you know don't spend too much money like it's my first electric guitar it's kind of a weird one whatever so she goes and she picks it up anyway from like a garage sale for like 200 bucks or like 250 and i was like oh it's a little much but okay i'll take it and mm-hmm. you know just go to town and that was uh I played that. I played the crap out of the guitar. I, I basically broke a pickup in that guitar uh, from playing, or at least I thought I did. I I broke one of the switches. It has those Mustang switches, and when you're uh, 15, 16 years old, and you're you're trying to be the next punk, pop punk sensation, uh, <laughs> you know, you smash the crap out of your guitars, and I blew one of those Mustang switches clear, like straight into the body. Uh, so I played with just the neck pickup for a while, but uh, oh, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it's all you just right. Smashed,
0: like smashed it right through the pit guard.
1: Yeah, so I couldn't I couldn't turn the humbucker on or I couldn't turn it on, but it was okay because it was one of those Fender humbuckers, and back then the Fender humbuckers were garbage anyway. So everything worked out. Fender Fender single coil in the neck, it sounded awesome, and that's all I used. The Jag stand, I'm trying to remember. What
0: kind of uh, what kind of single coil are we talking about? There is it like a Telecaster or a Stratocaster? Uh, style so it's single a coil? it's
1: a Strat single. Basically, the um, man now I, now I'll, I got to think about this. The original design for the Jagstang was supposed to have um, some Demarzio pickup uh, humbucker in the bridge, and then a Demarzio Strat single coil in the neck. I don't okay. remember specifically which ones they were, but they were all to like Kurt Cobain specs. He had certain pickups that he liked. They were Demarzios, um, And instead, what you got with, with this guitar was were um, Fender made in Japan pickups. So already, like that's the fact that you are putting a Fender humbucker in a guitar at the time is already a strike against it because... Aside from the wide range humbucker, like Fender, just, I don't, I don't know why, but they just didn't make good humbuckers. And I've played HSS strats from the mid nineties. And that humbucker sounds like, I don't know, but I don't like it. Um, (laughs) But the single coil in the neck, like the neck position is always ended up being my favorite position, at least for single coil guitars. Um, And, uh, I just love the way it sounded, so it's very chimey and bell-like, and even though the uh, Japanese pickups from Fender have always kind of been, uh, you know, some people love them, but they've always kind of been considered the weak point in the Japanese guitars, like, this pickup in this particular jack scene sounded fantastic. Nice. Nice.
0: So I got a little bit, I sidetracked you a little bit, because we started talking gear, but where did did it progress from there?
1: Uh, I kind of just, um, I played guitar for a while. Um, and actually probably about a little more than 10 years ago, like 12 years ago, um, I changed the church church I was going to. And I came in and I said, you know, I play electric guitar and they were like, well, we have an acoustic player and a drummer. So the last thing we need is like acoustic guitar, electric guitar, but you know, if you want to pick up the bass, then I I guess we can we can put you on the team. So I've for the last 12 or so years, I've pretty much been playing bass, and I started playing bass out of necessity, uh, which I feel like I've actually heard that is a pretty common story for bass players. Um, but for me it was something that I started with kind of just doing so I could be on the team. And right. it's really it's really become like my main instrument. So a lot of times when people say like, Oh, I, you play an instrument. I say, well, I've been playing guitar longer, but I've been playing bass more. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: And if, it, it, have you found like, have you found that you enjoy the bass more than the guitar now that you've stuck with it uh, as, as frequently as you have, or is it is guitar kind of still your, where your heart lies?
1: Uh, it's, it's a give and take. um, I don't. I I wish I played guitar more. Uh, I wish I spent more time personal time playing guitar. Bass is almost like riding a bicycle. I mean, once you have the basics down of, of playing the bass, uh, you just you just get back on. It's almost like playing like rhythm guitar. Like if you have a solid foundation in, in rhythm guitar, you know your your chords and, and your your chord changes and your rhythms, then. It doesn't matter how long you haven't played rhythm guitar; like you're going to be able to get back on pretty quickly. Uh, right. But with but with lead work on guitar, I always find like it takes me a f- like a few hours of w- really working at it to kind of like get back in the groove. Um, but you know, the two instruments I've always felt like people always you know on these different online communities, it's like, Oh bass, you know, you're just playing four on the floor the whole time. Like you're playing root notes, who cares? Um, but I've always found that playing bass has made my guitar playing better. And in turn, like playing guitar has made my bass playing better and it's melding like kind of the two instruments and thinking about like, all right, I'm playing bass, so I need to make sure I support the rhythm. But what if I take like a little electric guitar excursion over here and play it, something a little high, something a little you know more melodic, just on this one part? Like, can I make it fit and still support the rhythm of the song? Um, and sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. But that's kind of the thought process that I'm always working with because I'm experienced it on both sides of the coin. Right.
0: I I'm not like a, a experienced bass player by but- any stretch of the imagination i've i can play one on tv but that's about you know <laughs> the, the extent of it um but i've always kind of explained to it like uh, my wife for like for like 30 seconds she was like i w- I think i want to learn to play bass i was like really oh this is a dream come true like she's always <laughs> been in, really into music but like as far as learning something she's like has no interest in learning to play. And so when we first got married she's like I think I want to learn to play bass. And so I got super excited and and tried to learn a little bit more myself so I right. could help her. And and I've always kind of ex- I kind of explained it to her this way and that's the way I feel about it is it's a much easier instrument to start playing songs with a band but it's a very difficult instrument to get extremely proficient at and be like that guy's a good bass player yeah type of thing yeah like it i think it's more difficult to be known as a and and feel like you're a really excellent bass player than a really excellent guitar player and i don't know if it's just because guitar players are more common and it's a more popular instrument or what it is but that's just my take on it
1: you know it's i think a lot of it is it's one of these things where with guitar you have I don't wanna say you have more room to make mistakes because I I feel like that's kind of like, it's too simple. Um, It's really just because of the frequencies that you occupy with bass, like you're in charge of both supporting the song and then maybe doing something a little more interesting. With electric guitar, like if you're a lead guitarist, you think about like, you know, some of these like you think about like Van Halen, like nobody thinks like uh, about Van Halen's rhythm parts. All they think about is like the lead, you know, the guitar solo on eruption or whatever, like nobody mm-hmm. thinks about, well, maybe people think a little bit about the rhythm parts on ACDC, but really at the same time, like it's let's, let's look at this. Let's memorize this lead riff that, that Angus Young is playing. Uh, so a lot of times bass is just in the background and there's a lot of like really competent bass players that you just don't ever think about because what they're not ever doing is making mistakes. Right. Or getting in the way of the song. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Whereas whereas like, you know, you have plenty of songs where someone says, Hey, you know, we're going to take eight, eight bars here, eight measures, whatever. We're going to take a space here and we're going to put a guitar solo here, but you you don't really think of too many songs where you were, you know, in the songwriting process, someone said, you know what this song really needs? This song needs a bass solo.
0: It, yeah, I totally agree cuz I can only think of one like bass solo that really sticks out in my mind and this will probably tell you how old I am, but um or rather how old I'm not is like <laughs> one of my one of my favorite uh bass solos, one of my favorite songs and definitely my favorite bass player and bass solo is on Rancid's uh Maxwell Murder. Uh <laughs> So I am see, abs- that
1: makes you 16 in what 1998 uh... uh not quite call- not quite
0: <laughs> you, you're 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 not quite i'm a little i'm a little bit
1: younger than that but
0: uh, uh <laughs> i uh i just have always loved that song i still do yeah like, i think i think that is like i turn that on i'm like ah, this this bass playing here Solo, even solo aside this this bass playing here still don't get old to me. this is gnarly, like,
1: yeah, and you know, <clears throat> when
0: you I think, th- oh, go ahead, oh when when I think of like rip my face off bass, that's what I think of, and sure, I can't think of very many other people that shred the bass that way, I know that there are, and everybody. Who listens to this? That's into prog rock. Will say, "Well, listen to this and this and this and this." Yeah, um, but you know, you know what I mean. That's just what comes to my yeah. My every
1: head. um, every Primus fan right now is rolling their eyes. Oh well, <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, he doesn't slap on that song. I forget. <laughs> well, and, and you know, that's that's so much of. Uh, it's kind of interesting with bass. Is is you kind of have like all these technique. Changes that that are things that make the bass jump out. Whereas, you know, with guitar, you've got pinch harmonics and you've got tapping and all of these different things. People just think of bass as like, oh, boom, 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 boom. But you've got <laughs> you've got like the guys who who slap all the time, and you there is some tapping on bass. And and these aren't all techniques necessarily that I can or will use. I'm not really a phenomenal bass. I'm not really even. I don't consider myself a good bass player. I just think like, well, I can find the pocket and sit in it. And for right. 95% of the music out there, uh, being able to find the pocket and sit in it is, is what carries the song. And that's the thing that a lot of guitar players who transition to bass struggle with for a long time is locking in with their drums and figuring out how to space out what they're playing like you said earlier, to, to support everything else that's going on.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, the bass player in my band, um, he, he played guitar kind of like off and on younger, but like for the most part in bands, like he played like, you know, by himself. Acoustic type of things, sure, um, and probably some stuff I don't know about, but <laughs> like ninety percent of the stuff that I've I know of him doing is bass playing in a band, right? And so therefore, um, he does that really well, right? Um, supports the song and it and and locks in, and then once in a while it's like he does a little noodly doodly something, and it's like ooh ooh what was that? Do that again, like <laughs> <laughs> like that was awesome. It's uh it it's uh it's it's just interesting how things come together when you have the right people involved. Um, yeah. <clears throat> first mostly I'm talking about songwriting in that in that regard, but Yeah.
1: So so much of playing in bands and and everything is just finding the right people. I mean, I've the church I'm playing at now and I know I've been, like i I'm mostly a church player. I I've, I've been in two or three different bands. Uh, I've helped out, like I've met people through just the local music scene where I've like done, you know, two or three guest shows. But for the most part, like I'm a, I'm a church guy and I, I play church music, which for the most part is really simple. Um, but the guys on my church team are guys that I've been playing with for 10, 12 years who, you know, every time someone new comes in, they go like, man, I wish I wish I had like, I wish I could jump in the groove with you guys. Like you guys just have it all like you guys just know what 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 each other is gonna play before you even play it. And I'm like, well, that's what happens when you play together for a decade. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, if people's personalities mesh, you know, everything's just gonna come together, and you're gonna be able to make music that like just makes people go like, "Geez, that was that was special." Uh, just because you already know what the other person is gonna do, you know, two measures before they do it. Right.
0: Yeah, it's a, and I'm fortunate that way that I have played with uh, most of the same guys for a long time at this point, and we're all just, even if we're not playing together, that's who I'm hanging out with on the weekends. Like, it's, like, we're not, we're either jamming or we're hanging out talking about gear. Like, (laughs) our wives think we're super nerds, which we kind (laughs) of are, but... Like every time we go out to eat, all you guys are talking about is fuzz petals. I don't care about fuzz petals. <laughs> I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> They're magical. Gee they whiz. Are. They are. I need uh I need more of them in my life. Let's be honest. And I think that, that pretty much goes for everyone.
0: <laughs> I don't know I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that has enough.
1: Uh, well, you know, some people think they have enough, but it's just because they haven't figured out how to use them yet.
0: Right. Yeah. You got to have the more, I like Jay Mascus doesn't even have enough fuzz pedals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just, that's just my opinion. Uh, everyone, the, the, uh, the correct answer for how many fuzz pedals you need is you X equals your current amount of fuzz pedals and Y equals one. And the optimum amount of fuzz pedals is X plus one why exactly
1: that's just how it is um, yep. which means how I, many fuzz oh go ahead well that means I need another one because I only have two. <laughs> oh, you yeah you need you need you need to step your fuzz game up you I got you you know Ryan is really the fuzz obsessed one um, I've been more the delay obsessed one um, so I've own I've gone through you know not a ton of delay pedals but uh, I've probably gone through as many delay pedals as he's gone through through fuzz pedals but I think uh, maybe now is the time for me to start playing more fuzz i I think so
0: I mean oh don't worry the same formula applies to delays also. so <laughs> so you're so you're fine there that that's one that's an area that i'm I'm lacking in is I'm lacking a little bit of the delay game hmm. uh, I need I need to step that up I think I only have. 4.
1: Oh, only 4? Yeah, I need more. <laughs> Got to have more. Yeah, you need to use them all at once.
0: Oh, I I have.
1: <laughs> okay, don't good. Worry. Good, good. Just making sure. Yeah,
0: don't worry. I've I'm 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 kind of a psycho. Um one of my favorite things to do is to take um things that shouldn't that you shouldn't stack that many of in <laughs> one go and do it anyway just because. So like a couple nights ago, I took uh like a bubble font um big muff okay and I ran it into no excuse me I'm getting this backwards I had like a medium gain overdrive I think it was my uh, sweet honey and I ran it into my big muff which is a pretty normal thing for me to do right and then I ran that into the Maleco chaos and then I ran that into the Mr. Black uh, the Black Limited Distortion and um, it made about as much noise as you would think it would which was a lot and uh, there were a lot of square waves involved it was a (laughs) (laughs) it was quite a face ripper but I do that kind of stuff all the time so
1: I've actually been uh, I don't remember where I saw this um, or who I was listening to I might have been listening to someone's podcast I don't remember it might have been your podcast actually um the more I think about it it probably was I wish I could remember who was uh the guest but they suggested running high gain to low gain instead of the opposite and um Mm. so I started doing that recently and it's actually um I get why I've been running low gain to high gain uh, so basically, my my drive setup right now is um, I've got a fuzz pedal right off the bat. It's a Fox Tone Machine clone, and then that oh, okay. and that runs into a boost. Uh, it's a fairly clean boost. It's probably got like a high mid bump in it. Um, it's kind of got that uh, that uh, zvex super hard on thing going where you turn the knob and it crackles. Um, right, and then that's running into. Um, Right now, it's running into a Big Ear NYC woodcutter into my volume. Oh, those? Oh, Yeah, I'm excited. I want to try one of those. Yeah, uh, they're great. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. uh, a little different. Honestly, I feel like it's a little different from at least the Rat 2 that I have, but it's still like a a phenomenal standalone uh, mid-high-gain distortion. Uh, And then I've got that into my volume pedal into a Tube Screamer clone that I own. And I had those flipped before. Um, but running the, uh, the woodcutter into the tube screamer is a phenomenal sound because instead of like, normally you take like, when you go low to high, you're kind of taking like whatever the low is doing and you're running it into the high gain and, Mm -hmm. and you're kind of just like blowing that up with the high gain. But what you get going the opposite direction is just shifting where your EQ centers are and it really kind of changes the way the two pedals play together. Um, so with the woodcutter into the uh, Tube Screamer clone, what I end up with is this like super long sustain that's not like r- overly uh, gritty if I decide like I'm going to throw in a chord here instead of like a single note run. So it's like, a, it, it's it's very clear.
0: It's a it's a distorted clear like Exactly. Uh, type of sound. Yeah. It's defined. Yeah. Gotcha. That's interesting. I it's something I've messed with um I don't generally screw around with orders too much when I'm talking about a trying to dial in an overdrive or a distortion sound, but for some reason I will play with fuzz orders all day. I mean, I I have <laughs> I have plenty of opportunity, I just, I never, I'm not sure if that was my show or not, now that you mention it, because I'm trying to remember, like, who would have said that, but uh, I I forget a lot of things, so that's...
1: I want to say it was either um, Small Sound, Big Sound, or Stephen Petty John, but I don't know, it was a while ago. Actually,
0: that does sound right, that, I think, actually, you're correct, I think that Brian, Brian Hamilton did mention that, now that you... Now you say that. I think that is who you're speaking of. So Yeah, that's interesting. That's something I, I've I've done, but I don't really remember what the results were. So I'll have to kind of go in there with a more conscious, you know, effort and and see
1: what happens. Yeah, you know, it's 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 something worth worth a shot. And it's something that we always kind of say over and over again at Sixty Cycle Hum is there's no bad tones, there's just wrong tones you know right if you have the right context like a tone is usable uh but if you're not in that context then, it, then it's garbage i mean think about how many songs uh, start off with some kind of like high cut thing to simulate like an am radio or whatever right um you see hear that just on tons and tons of songs where the the first you know 15 seconds of the song is some guitar riff where it sounds like an AM radio. You would never use that for, for an entire song. But for that 15 seconds, it is the perfect sound. It's a, I'm using air quotes here, it's a bad tone. But for those 15 seconds, it's the perfect tone. Yeah, I've actually, i've I've been
0: talking to some people before about how Sometimes like a bad tone is what you need, which right. is un it sounds kind of dumb, but like like big old scoop muffs and, and all that stuff sounds great by yourself. Um but sometimes it doesn't fit. Like you Oh yeah. You totally disappear. And a lot of people already know that. That's kind of a not a new information, but it can be applied elsewhere too. And the answer isn't always more mids. It's just, where do you fit in the mix? Just find that, right. find that spot.
1: Um, yeah.
0: And sometimes that I, spot's kind of ugly by itself.
1: Yeah. I, you know, for what it's worth, I've been in a lot of situations where the answer was more mids. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, that just made me think of a, I did a, we used to do uh, Ryan and I used to run a, a do it yourself venue. We had this band came come in that was great. They did like video game songs and the guy was playing a Line 6 Spiderhead and he ran on the insane channel.
0: <laughs> of did, course.
1: I mean, I mean he could have been pumping a thousand watts with the way his thing was EQ'd you never would have heard him over over the rest of the band. Um, because it was just so terribly mid scooped Mm -hmm. that I, you know, I told him, I like, turn it up, turn it up more, turn it up more. Can't hear you. I will go up to the amp after the, after the set and go like, oh, okay, well, you know, you, when you run your mids at zero, that's why no one, (laughs) you know, if you were standing right in front of him, you probably could have heard him, heard him just great. But you know, he was running a four by 12 in a, you know, 20 by 20 room at the biggest you know if you threw a uh something with mids in there, it would have killed everybody at the volume he was probably trying to hit but because he scooped all the mids, you couldn't hear it through through the front row of bodies
0: yeah that's that's a definite fact i mean the the guitar is a mid ranged voiced instrument, so yeah um if you take all that away, then it's a not voiced instrument. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like, I get, I get why that sounds cool and I understand, you know, why playing by yourself usually doing that for high gain stuff sounds cool. It does. Um, but your tone, the worst tone in the world is the one that nobody hears. Yeah. So, like, you you could be the most amazing player but if 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 you can't hear if nobody can hear you out in the in the room then you're kind of doing nothing so keep that in mind boys and girls <laughs> the audience needs to hear you first so uh, i don't know i feel like i should have that little the more you know thing dun, 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 dun. <laughs>
1: yeah
0: but so here, let's talk about. Uh, well, since you're you got you got probably a couple rigs you could talk about. Let's talk about sure your. Uh, let's talk about your bass rig first.
1: Um, so the base rig that I'm using now is a. I don't own any of this stuff. Uh, actually, we have a house rig, um, and it's just a, a Galen Kruger Backline 600, mm-hmm. which I don't know why it's called the Backline 600 because it's a 300 watt amp. Um, right. I guess, I guess maybe it'll do 300 watts per side, but I I don't know. I, I haven't figured that out. Um, and it's going into a PV 1820, which is a huge bass cab. Uh, it's got two tens up top and an 18 on the bottom. Cool. Um, and the hilarious thing about it is, it's not a particularly low tuned 18. So. Uh, it doesn't actually push low end that well, uh, but it pushes it well enough that that you actually don't hear the low end until you're like six or ten feet away from that from the cab. Um, oh,
0: that's interesting.
1: So, yeah, so I run that. Uh, I actually use the same pedal board for guitar or bass. I just use different effects, or I change like I just change settings. Um, and then I'm right now. I'm running a Yamaha RBX 760 uh, base that I picked up for like 80 bucks, um, and this is very much in the 60 cycle home way of doing things. <laughs> I bought this base for for like 80 bucks, and uh, I took it home. And one of the pots was missing. Well, this is an active circuit, so basically, what it didn't have was I think it was an active circuit. Uh, So what it didn't have was the treble boost. It was supposed to be a pickup blend, master volume, treble boost, bass boost. Standard uh, two-band EQ for bass. Um, So I I bought some – Art. it was an Artec. So I didn't want to pour a bunch of money to it. So I bought an Artec preamp, uh, and I couldn't get the thing to fit in the cavity. I didn't want to drill it out. So I just said, heck with it. I took that out, just bought four – plain old A500K pots and wired it Les Paul style. So I've got volume, volume, tone, tone without a switch on this bass now. And I've always been a traditionalist with bass. So I bought this uh, for a long time. I was playing a, a USA Fender Jazz Bass 5-string. And I actually picked it up for $300. Uh, but you know, if you want to hear more of that story, you're, I guess you're going to have to listen to 60 Cycle Home for a while because... I mentioned it a few times, but I don't know what episode it's in. Um, but, Shameless plug. Yeah, just a little <laughs> plug there. Um, I don't know um, what uh, what spurred it, but I decided that I wanted a backup. And I think a lot of it was that uh, being a church player, sometimes I was like, oh, sometimes I need to get under that low E. and But most of the times I didn't. Uh, so I just wanted some kind of like, other four-string bass. I found this Yamaha RBX um, 760 on Craigslist for like 80 bucks, And I picked it up. The The preamp was like missing part of it. I think it, it only had like three of the four knobs. Uh, so I bought a replacement, couldn't get it to fit in the cavity because it was too big. Um, and uh, I ended up just gutting the whole thing and setting it to like less Paul wiring with volume, volume, tone, tone. Uh, finally get this thing up, start using it. And it, it just played so well that, that even though like I had always been kind of against non-traditional looking basses, I just figured like it plays good, it sounds good, I should just use it. So I ended up selling off the jazz bass and, and now I'm just using the Yamaha all the time and it's cheap enough that I kind of just leave it at the church and whoever wants to play the bass can come in and borrow it and it's never an issue. Because if it goes missing, like I'm out, I don't know, 130 bucks. Right, not a big deal. It'll be okay. Yeah, I spend more money on I spent more money on you know my delay pedal. (laughs) Pedals, 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 pedals.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what? uh, Let's talk about your delays. Why don't don't we talk about those?
1: Um, Right now, um, my board. I've got that my drive section, I kind of already described after that tube screamer, I'm running into a, uh, Caroline guitar company, kilobyte. The havoc switch on that pedal is, is the coolest thing I have ever seen on a delay pedal. Uh, the ability to basically say, I don't have to turn a knob to start oscillation. I can just push a button down and it will start oscillating and In turn, what you can do with that, because it basically becomes like a semi-infinite sustain switch that you can sort of play as its own instrument, Um, just because like you can, oscillation, you just tend to think of like, that's a delay pedal going out of control or that's some kind of analog effect going out of control. But because it's foot switchable on the kilobyte, you now have control. Mm Mm-hmm. So you can start it, you can basically actually get it to sit at a at the same oscillation level effectively until your foot falls off. Um, it's, it's really cool. Uh, I run from that into a Boss DD5. Uh, I've ha- owned the DD5 and the DD7 and I just can't get away from the DD5. Uh, I've used that pedal for so long that it kind of like resi- resides in a special home in my heart. Uh, and I run out of that into an Earthquaker uh, device's underneath Oh, yes. their reverberation machine, mm-hmm. um, which is just... A, I'm still trying to figure out that pedal. It kind of feels like if I don't carry the manual with me, I'm just never going to remember what all the knobs do, because it, it's a little crazy. I love that thing. Yeah,
0: it's great. It's a good one. Yeah, you're talking about the, uh, the um, kilobyte. I... I have uh, not got to try one of those it's super high on my list because I love the idea um, and a lot of it is because I have another pedal uh, that that has a similar function and I mean uh, it, well it is the same same idea uh, the uh, solid gold effects electro man
1: um, okay that I've actually um, I didn't contact them just because it's a pedal that's been out for a while but I was thinking about trying to get one of those because we had a you know uh aside from doing the podcast we also do uh youtube demos and we had a demo idea that would have been perfect for that pedal but we kind of just decided to hold off on it because we we figured something new would come along that that we might be able to use it for that was better but yeah i saw that uh delay i just i don't know a lot about it
0: that's one of my favorites um i'm a huge fan of that company i've talked about it before uh and um have been for years but the the Man's super cool because, and I, I think this is a very overlooked feature and I can't remember if I've talked about it before or not, but I think I have is delay pedals that have effects loops. Um, mm. It's, it's got an effects loop in it. So you can run whatever you want and, right. and, uh, and it only affects the repeats. Yeah. So it's such a good time. Uh, I've, used a digitech whammy on the repeats i've used (laughs) uh i i like setting a nice a nice overdrive in there like super light setting and then um that causes the they call it the warp switch uh to be much more sensitive um gotcha and yeah you get these ridiculous sounds like if you like like just like you say if you you can play it like its own effect where you step on that and and you have this sustain. So I'll be like oh, I'll right. use it for like lead work and then and then it's kind of a mild delay setting, maybe even like slapback. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get to something I really want to emphasize and and step on that at the same time and holding it just as that like crazy. Yeah. It's so cool. I love it. Um and I I I guarantee you the kilobytes just as rad cuz I've yeah. I, they make great products too, so over at Caroline. So i am got to get my hands on one of those pretty soon, <laughs> <clears throat> for sure. So, um, what kind of guitars are you playing, then, these days? We talked about your bass. Uh,
1: sure. Guitars, I kind of tend to grab things out of the stable at random. Um, it's never like, I never think, oh, I've got this set list, what guitars are going to fit it. It's, oh, uh, it's Saturday night, what guitar do I feel like playing tomorrow? Um, my, my main guitar is a, is a parts Telecaster. I don't know what half the parts in it are. Well, I don't know what the body is. The neck is a SQ serial Squire. So it's about a 1983, 1984 Squire neck. It's got these super jumbo frets on it, uh, which are kind of weird. And then that guitar has a, a uh, Seymour Duncan vintage staggered single coil in the neck. So that's a strap pickup in the neck position of a Telecaster Mm -hmm. and then a Seymour Duncan. I think, uh, it's the SH five, the custom in the bridge position, which is a humbucker. I'm not exactly sure what the humbucker is because it doesn't have the tags on the back anymore. Uh, but I know it like it's got the Seymour Duncan stamp. It just doesn't have the little sticker that says what model it is. Right. Uh, But I tried, I tried, I did my best to verify as far as I can tell. It's a SH five. Um, so that's probably my main electric guitar. Um, if I'm not playing that one, I'm probably playing. Well, I mentioned the Jag Sing earlier. I don't actually play that one a ton because a 24-inch scale, it's a little funky, and I'm not a huge fan of the dynamic vibrato that Fender made, uh, which is the Mustang vibrato. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also on the Jag Sing. So if I'm not if I'm not playing the Telecaster, most of the time when I'm playing. I've got a uh, Fender Contemporary Stratocaster. Um, from, which is another Japanese fender. Uh, and it's just your typical fender. It's actually, it's, it's from the, it's a contemporary standard, but somebody replaced the, uh, Schaller bridge that was on it, which is this crazy bridge. Um, they just took it off and replaced it with a six screw vintage style, uh, trim. Gotcha. So it, it kind of kills any resale value on it. But also meant that when I bought it, I was able to get that strat for a hundred bucks. The oh. guy just had it off. I, I was in college. I skipped class. I was on, I was on Craigslist uh, in between classes, and I saw it, and I said, "Oh, Japanese strat for a hundred bucks. Never going to see that again. Guess I'm not going to class today." Right. <laughs> so I picked that up. Um, so I'm usually playing one of those two. I've also got a PV generation uh, from there back when they were making those in the U.S. So it's about a 1989-1990. It's got the PV noiseless uh, tele, like noiseless generation set, which is a kind of a stratty telecastery pickup set. That's a fun guitar. Uh, I've got that one for free uh, off of Craigslist. <laughs> um, I've got a Epiphone um, Les Paul Junior with a P90. I brought that guitar to church as a backup. And ended up playing it because it's it's an Epiphone. It's a cheap Epiphone. It feels like a cheap Epiphone. But the P90 in the bridge position is like, that's a magical sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know what other, I've got a, I think the only other guitar that I haven't mentioned is I've got a Squire Bullet, also made in Japan. So it's the small body uh, Telecaster headstock neck. Uh, that thing is tiny. And I need to do some more testing on it because I think I might need to replace the input jack. The
0: input jack's uh, cutting out on you a little bit there.
1: Uh, I plugged a cable into it from a, um, let's just say it's uh, a cable not to put the company down. It's a cable from a company that sells cables for very cheap uh, from their rather large online retail store. Mm, mm Um. And it is a great-looking cable, Um, but I don't know if it's the cable or the guitar. Uh, I can tell you that the jack on the guitar is old, old, old. Like it is just this guitar is like I don't know mid '80s. It looks thirty years old. Um, The actually the body and the neck are in great condition, but this jack just looks like garbage. Um, And I plugged this cable into it, and the cable just was shorting out constantly. I didn't have time to try a second cable. I just swapped out guitars um, into a guitar that would support the cable better. Right. And it it worked, but then the next week I used the cable again, and the cable didn't work. So now I don't even know. I don't know if it's the cable or the guitar. I just haven't had time to test it out, and when you've got other guitars in the stable that are ready to go, like sometimes... Things like that just kind of fall to the wayside. Yeah, I understand. I totally get it.
0: So, you guys, you guys have a really, like, different, um, and I talked about this with Ryan briefly, but you guys have a really different, like, kind of idea w- with gear than I do in some regards, <laughs> where you're, you guys are always, like, doing the, uh, doing the flip thing and, and, right. and, and that kind of stuff, and I'm like, sell gear huh <laughs> <laughs> like like i don't I, I i i've told everybody before i've sold one guitar in my life and i regret it um <laughs> it, it, it 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 was a sweet guitar i didn't really sell it i tried used it as partial trade for my melody maker but sure um and i, I actually posted about it today cuz i found a picture of it may even be the exact same guitar i, I can't tell but somebody sold this old Japanese marquee. I bought it at, uh, I bought it at a shop here in Portland and it had four pickups and they were all individually switchable. Oh and, wow. Yeah. And, and I had a trim on it, but the arm was missing and, um, it was a short scale, which I wasn't like super fan of. Um, yeah. but it had an amazing feeling neck and it sounded killer and it was very fun to play in, like, a garage rock type of way. And, <laughs> and it was a perfect guitar um, for playing with lots of fuzz because I could I could rock out, like, at a ridiculous level with it. And then,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, if there's a big rock and roll ending in the song or something, I could take the guitar up. And, and it was really, it sounded great when you screamed into the pickups.
1: so (laughs) yeah i actually i just remembered i have one of those This the guitar that i always forget about i have a guitar that was made in the philippines and i haven't set it on fire yet because it's the only guitar that i have with microphonic pickups yep
0: i love i love the microphonic pickups for that kind of stuff it it was so it was just so fun to play and uh I I I traded it for this melody maker and then it was still in the shop for you know I should have just ponied up. I didn't it was a partial trade so I should have just ponied up like the 175 bucks or 200 bucks or whatever it was. But I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, the wife will like it better if I trade." And yeah, and and so I did the partial trade and now I'm like, "No, that was a horrible mistake." And it was it was in <laughs> it was in the shop for a long time. I could have bought it back, but I just like didn't. Uh, that's because... that's
1: gonna be a hard guitar to find again, dude.
0: I know. That's why I'm so mad. I I'm so mad about it. I
1: never sell gear. Yeah. No. You know, So here's <laughs> a th- here's a thing with with flips for for Ryan and I. All, mm-hmm. uh, is that you know the when I sold that jazz bass, it took me. Months and months of thinking about it before I before I put that thing on, on the market to sell um, Because I wanted to be really sure like that I wasn't gonna sell it, sell it and, and then automatically be like oh I regret this mm-hmm. and part of the deal I came to with myself to for selling that guitar is I'm gonna sell sell this and The money that I get for selling this is gonna be used to start flipping gear so, you know, uh, in that time, like basically what that gave me was I sold that base for $800 and that was $800 of play money. That wasn't money that like, it wasn't, I need to sell this base because I got to, I got to pay a bill. It was, I'm going to sell this and I'm going to use this money to turn into more gear and or more money depending on how things play out. Okay. Um, so when I flip, like when I want to buy, when I see something for example the kilobyte. I got a decent price on the kilobyte, but I wasn't like I don't I didn't buy that with plans to turn around and make money on it. Like I bought it thinking if I get a good price on this then if I ever down the road want to sell it, then hopefully I can get pretty close to the same amount. For me flipping is all about find, seeing something that someone is selling for dirt cheap for whatever reason, either they don't know what they have, or they know what they have when they just don't think it's worth that much, or they want to sell it fast, or whatever. And buying it, and in a lot of cases, I end up buying a guitar. And the reason the guy's selling it dirt cheap is because it is covered in years of dust. And so, you know, I'm buying a Fender Str- Mexican Stratocaster for 200 bucks. I'm spending an hour restringing and cleaning the thing up and trying to make it look as close to clean as possible and then I'm putting it back up on Craigslist for 300 bucks and seeing what happens. Most of the gear that I've sold isn't gear that I've ever owned long enough to to form an attachment to. And a perfect example of that actually is for me is the Jagstang. I talked about it before like that was my first electric guitar. My mom paid 250 bucks for it. I'm looking at it right now going like I could maybe get 600 for it. Right. Maybe a little more for the right buyer, maybe a little less cuz it does have like a scratch in the back. I don't know. But somewhere around like 5 to 600 bucks I I think is reasonable. But despite the fact that I have not played that guitar in front of another human being in th- 3 or 4 years, maybe 5 years, doesn't matter because it's my first electric guitar and it's not it's not going to get sold unless things get really desperate or that guitar like is suddenly worth $2000 then maybe I'll think about it. But until then like there that emotional attachment is real. Oh yes. Yeah, on, on the other hand like and that's the same reason you know I said I've got my Boss DD5. I owned a DD5 and a DD7 at the same time and I traded my DD, DD7 to a guy who said, "Well, I'll take either of your delay pedals." That DD5 was my first like digital delay that I really loved. Mm-hmm. And even though the DD seven in just about every way is a superior delay to the DD five, I kept the DD five cause it's mine and I, I didn't want to let it go. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely the, the whole flip thing sounds can sound kind of cold and callous, but, but the reality is, is it's more about taking advantage of market trends Sometimes that works. Sometimes you buy a Klon KTR for $280 and you, nobody wants to buy it. (laughs) So, uh, uh, so I'm actually really thinking about just taking a big loss on that thing soon. (laughs) (laughs) Actually.
0: Yeah. I would have thought, I would have thought that would have been a good flip too, uh, when you got it. But, um, yeah, I was. Just as wrong as you, I guess. So,
1: yeah, I think the batch I bought on was the first in a series of batches they released like two or three months in a row. And the reality is that the clon market went from, uh, I think at the time there was basically uh, the Centaur. I mean, you know, the Centaur has been discontinued for years. So at the time there was the KTR every time there was a release, it, it was released. There was the um, maybe the ox blood was out at the time from Keeley. There was the J Rocket Archer, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. And shortly after that release, which was in January of this year, um, was when uh, people started dropping KT, uh, dropping Centaur clones left and right. Uh, Matthews released, I think it, Matthews Effects, I think released the Architect. Um The soul food was already actually was already out because the soul food was out before uh, Christmas 2014. Um, And in the last like 10 months, the market has just become clone saturated.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Big time. Like huge, huge time. I like know some more that are coming too. And it's like, wow. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But then again, you know, like I don't I don't think that's going to be a tough uh, thing to oversaturate, I think. I know yep. there's a lot of them, but at this point, it's gonna be it's gonna become pretty much like whose company do you like are into the most? Like, are you a whatever fan you happen to be? Yeah, he's, you know? exactly.
1: And and so you know, I don't. I think there's still some room in that market. Wampler just released the the tumness not mm-hmm. too long ago. Do you know what the date this episode will drop? Um, it's going to be it's going to be a few weeks. I don't have okay, an exact so, date, but it'll be a few so weeks. So in, in a few weeks, as long as it's after November seventeenth, I know what you're about y- to say. Okay, cause did Ryan already talk about it, or did you? Are you just in the know?
0: I just I know I just am in the know.
1: Which okay, is weird, so you, which
0: is a really weird thing to say. I am still. Um, ne- I'm new to being in the know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you know, November seventeenth, which I guess if since this is coming out afterwards, um, will be when Mojo Hand drops uh, the Sacred Cow. Which yep. is their clump, which is their clon uh, style pedal. So everyone's getting in this, which is which is great, uh, I think, because it, everyone's got a little different take um, of all the ones I've tried. Um, with it, really, is just for the KTR, the JHS modded Soul Food, the Shelly Pony Boy, and the Mojohan. They're all a little different from each other. They're all the same style, but but they're all creating a distinct sound within that cell, which is really how the Tube Screamer market has been forever. Right, exactly. It's just Uh, which one do you want. Yeah, so it's not a bad thing unless you bought a KTR from Humbucker Music last January with the intention of flipping it over the (laughs) summer. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, or I imagine Bill Finnegan's not super stoked on it
1: no oh and you know there's some conversation going on about that because apparently uh, Klon LCC just became a registered company again or maybe for the first time I don't really know what that story is uh, so it, there's some rumor that Bill Finnegan might be getting back into the game in, in over the next few months he totally and he, should and if he does it's going to potentially change the game with 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 uh, guitar effects, uh, at least with analog effects. I,
0: he, I've wondered for a long time, like, I mean, I don't know his story at all. I'm not super familiar with it, but I've wondered the clon has been a mythical thing basically since its release. Um, yeah. I've been like shocked that other, I mean, us obviously he had hand in the KTR, but other than that, like, I'm like, I am shocked that he doesn't do something cause it would automatically sell.
1: Like, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I don't know it I don't recall exactly what his his personal story is and why he's not making more of them. Um, but it's kind of this pedal that's become the dumble of the overdrive world where it's this guy who made a, made a few of them and and uh, I know when he makes when Bill makes centaurs now, He just sells them on eBay and he sells them to like support his neighbor. Like he doesn't even sell them to like make money necessarily for himself. He sells them because like he's got a neighbor that needs some financial assistance. So, you know, he's just, he's being a good neighbor and he's selling, you know, a dozen centaurs at $2,000 a piece on eBay and giving all the money to his neighbor.
0: That's that's pretty awesome. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know about
1: that. So it's, I don't know what the exact details are, but that's basically it. That you know, if you, if people are listening and they want to know more and the, don't fact check me because I guarantee you, ever, at least some of what I said was wrong. But if you jump on and, and you know, Google Bill Finnegan Klon, that story and I don't know Bill Finnegan Klon neighbor, that story will come up.
0: Well, that's pretty awesome. I had no idea that he was doing that. I I love seeing that kind of stuff, so. Yeah. That's interesting. Um it, it makes me wonder like I have no clue. This is all just me completely speculating out loud like what's that guy been up to other than that? Like uh, I mean, you know what I mean? Like he has this yeah. brand and this and this knowledge of how to build something rad. Um that is that it has the whole effects world just buzzing. And he's not other than like that helping his neighbor. That's that's amazing. But like he's not doing anything with it, and it's very. That's a very interesting mindset. Mindset. I wonder like what is he doing then? Is he like a yeah, bat, I, Batman or something? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's just waiting for uh, the effects world to really need him, and then he's going to come back. Uh, I honestly <laughs> have no, I have no idea. I know um, I've seen the rise and fall and rise ish of different uh, pedal people um Paul just one guy who offhand I know um Paul Cochran almost like actually he stopped making the Tim really uh and only makes the Timmy because Mm -hmm. of some things that came up and and sometimes like it's I don't want to say it's easy to build pedals but it's not if you're making once you figure out what you're doing the pedal making part isn't prohibitively difficult. Right. Um, You know, I don't mean that that's not a knock on anyone who makes them because, you know, I, I've every attempt I've made to, to I've modded some stuff, but every attempt I've made to build a pedal from like even instructions and random parts, like hasn't exactly worked out a hundred percent. So, I mean, it's difficult, but once you get everything hammered out, like it's kind of a rinse and repeat, the the business side of the pedal industry and i think I, you know actually i know josh scott mentioned it when you interviewed him you know that's a whole other set of of traps to, to negotiate it's a whole other minefield um, and so you know i think a lot of these guys they start building a pedal and they get some success with it but they they got in it from the beginning to build a pedal and kind of have fun with it and so the business side of it is just becomes completely unappealing to them, and so I think in some cases that's I you know and again I don't know if that's necessarily the case for for Bill Finnegan, I know um, when Paul Cochran stopped making the Tim and started focusing solely on the Timmy, that was part of it because Dan Electro had cloned the Timmy, and that he almost just quit over that because he just didn't like the fact that. You know, this other import company, uh, Dan Electro makes some great stuff, but the reality is they were cloning a bunch of, of high-end pedals. And the Timmy was is very reasonably priced at $130. Yeah. Um, but people were like, why should I buy a Timmy when I can get the Dan Electro transparent overdrive for 40 bucks or whatever? And that's when you from a building perspective, when you're putting your personal time your personal sweat and blood and burning yourself with a soldering iron and, and, you know, the hours spent just putting in the four bottom screws with a screwdriver and all these different things, like that's a hard thing to, to go to, to decide, I'm going to go into battle against a company that's just using robots to make pedals and making and selling them for 40 or 50 bucks, even though it's my intellectual property. Hmm. Yeah,
0: I could, I could, I could really understand that being super difficult for some people and it was interesting when I talked to uh, Brian Wampler I made a statement that like well there can't be anybody successful that you know in, successful in the pedal, pedal business that doesn't like the business and he's like uh, um, no he's like I'm not going to name names but I know a few that that they started out as a, their hobby and their passion and now they basically hate it they just do it because yeah. they have to at this
1: point Yeah, I you know I think I think if you kind of pay attention to what's going on in the industry and paying attention to how different companies interact with social media or how they handle their customer service, you can kind of figure out who the guys are that really love their customers and who the guys are who just kind of tolerate their customers. Um, And you know there and all of these guys honestly like at least every single one that i've talked to they all have times where they're just like why am i doing this because being like i said being a pedal guy is you're building pedals it's for a lot of these guys it's something they really love but the business is just like why am i dealing with customers every day who are giving me lame excuses why am i dealing with credit card issues and and all of these different things that they have to deal with because they're small business people
0: Right. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, I mean, I, most, most people who get into building pedals or building musical, you know, equipment in general, um, they do that. They get the, into the creating and the building cause they love creating and building and, yeah, and oftentimes business stuff while creating and building a business is a, is a project in its own right. It's kind of a different endeavor. And if you don't have, the desire or want to do that, it could get turned into a, a kind of a, just a job at some point. And I, that that's very unfortunate for something you love to become something that you tolerate, you know? Yeah. So, well, Steve, you know, you know what I'm about to say? Um, yeah.
1: You know, honestly, I just finished my commute. So, you know, I've got to <laughs> so
0: well that's that's just quite a coincidence. I'm sure the listeners have finished their commute also.
1: And yeah. and or, or, the, or the dinner is cooked, or you know, uh whatever else they have going. It's midnight and, and they have to turn off their phones before it turns it has like the Gremlin curse and
0: mm-hmm. uh... <laughs> but, no, that does happen. Don't don't laugh about it.
1: Don't feed your phone after midnight, kids. That's right. It'll. T-
0: <laughs> I wonder how many. You think that I just had a, a weird thought. I know I said I was going to close this out, but this- I just had a weird thought. <laughs> I-, I thought about this the other day. Like, I'm getting to the age, um, and it's that I'm starting to realize that stuff that I that I grew up with, that there's kids that growing up that have never seen gremlins. And oh, that, and that's so weird to me to think about that because I watch Don't. gremlins like on repeat.
1: So I work with, um, I, I, i vol- I work as a, as a guitar player, as a worship leader for a high school group. Okay. And I, and I also volunteer with high schoolers for some other stuff. So a lot of like, I, I work with a lot of teenagers and a lot of these kids, if you say who's the karate kid. Like if you tell me who's the karate kid, I say, oh, Daniel San, you right. know, uh, Ralph Macchio. You mm-hmm. say that to them, they say Jaden Smith. Ugh. Uh. <laughs> uh. Oh, no! So Lord. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh,
0: I, I mean, it didn't. I, I was talking about my wife, talking with my wife about that the other day, and that's the reason I, I thought of it when you mentioned Gremlins, and I was like, I was just talking about Gremlins, like. It, uh. <laughs> Like, I don't even know if my sister... My sister's five years younger than me. I don't even know if she remembers gremlins the way I do. And, and it's weird. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't understand. The Mogwais. The Mogwais. The electric Gremlin, The Mogwais. Yeah, the, yeah. the gremlin that was dressed as a girl. Like, come on. Everybody's <laughs> got to get this... Get on the gremlin train. So, I think that's as good a note to close out on, on, on as any. Sure, why not? You know, g- get on the gremlin train. Um... so steve do you have anything you want to uh um other than the podcast do you have anything up and coming that you would like to uh plug in uh, right before we close off here
1: um not that i can think of um i guess you know if you have i'm sure you have people listening who are um Our uh, industry people, uh, sixty cycle hum will be at NAM again this year at the Winter NAM in Anaheim. So if you want to hang out with us, uh, you know, just get in contact with us, let us know. We're going to be doing some uh, interviews while we're there. We're we're renting a place up in Anaheim to do it, so it's going to be a ton of fun. And you know, um, hopefully, if you enjoyed this show, you can check out my show. Uh, Just Google sixty cycle hum or look for it on on itunes and uh you know download a couple episodes there you go
0: are you sure there's not like um i don't know maybe a youtube channel you want to talk about
1: oh yeah yeah we have a youtube channel that i've only been in one video for so i don't really like to promote it but I probably <laughs> should. Uh, um our video guy so ryan i mean ryan and uh our buddy adam they do a lot of their video recording during the daytime, during during the week, because they are self-employed gentlemen who have that kind of flexibility, and I am not. I am a slave to the man, and so I work nine to five. But anyway, uh, yeah, we're on YouTube uh, as 60 Cycle Hum, and we do gear demos. Uh, some of them are new gear demos. Some of them are uh, bizarre things, but if you want to actually just hear a little snippet of what we do on the podcast, we have a bunch of, like, kind of short episodes in a YouTube format where it's just a photo in the background and you can listen to us ramble and play the guitar poorly. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Steve.
0: Uh, really no appreciate problem. you taking the time. And uh, yeah, as always, everybody for Steve, I'm Blake. Good luck and good tones. See ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right folks, that's the show for today. Thank you very much for listening and thank you to Steve for coming on. It was a very enjoyable chat. The links to 60 Cycle Hum are in the show notes, so hit that up, check it out and enjoy yourself. Also, hey, you like the show. I mean, if you don't like the show, you've listened this long for I don't I don't really know why you've listened this long if you didn't like the show. But if you don't, I'm sorry. I really am. Uh, I hope, hope maybe I can make it up to you in some way. If you do like the show, however, you know what to do. You've heard it by now. iTunes reviews. iTunes reviews. Maybe another iTunes review. Maybe if you can con your grandma into leaving an iTunes review. That would be so sweet. Anyway, iTunes reviews. They'd be great. Thank you very much. And, of course, there's ToneMob.com slash store. There's uh, new goodies being added in there on a fairly regular basis. We got the Obsidian Picks in stock now alongside the shirt. So those um, are pretty sweet. I think you're going to want to check those out. I really, really like those, and that's, uh, that's all I'm using these days is Stone Picks. So go ahead and check that out. And, of course, there's the uh, ToneMob.com associate links. Anybody uh, you choose to buy from in there, through that link, we'll uh, give a little back scratch. So thank you very much if you've already done that. And most importantly, thanks for listening. I hope you all have a great week. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings, made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com slash stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, You are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop.